Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy Thursday at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Dragon Season 1, Episode 9, The Green Council is over. We are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Hello everybody, Mike Bloom here to officially coronate Aegon, second of his name. Please hold your applause and your dragon fire until the end of this recap as we are breaking down a tense penultimate episode of the first season of House of the Dragon. And of course... I am not alone. I'm standing on the dais alongside people I love, much like Aegon does at the end of this episode. Uh, first off, somebody who I would imagine maybe has cross-stitched a spider before, much like Helena did earlier on in this episode. It's the great Grace leader. Grace, how are you? I'm good. I was hiding under this little church. I was hiding in this church. Uh, I can't believe you found me. The white worm uh, must have sent for me. That's so Listen, yeah. I keep getting told the beast beneath the boards, and I've deducted right. enough hidden immunity idol clues in Survivor <laughs> history to know like what that's loosely referring to. So it's true. Happy to have you back here after uh, an absence last week. Uh, all the indistinct chatter that's been going on amongst the internet is certainly <laughs> yes. missing your presence. Yes, of course. I was just complaining about the fact that I didn't have subtitles for this episode, and it would have helped me immensely. Uh, I always watch with subtitles. It feels like I, I was deaf during this episode. So, yeah. Well, our guest today uh, doesn't even need subtitles because he has many titles of his own. Of course, you can check him out on the Married on First Flight podcast here uh, on Reality TV or Half Pups, as well as recently wrapping up coverage of She-Hulk, attorney at law alongside Sasha Joseph on Everything is Super. But here he goes to a very different court, the royal court, if you will. So excited to welcome Jason Reed to the podcast. Jason, how are you? 
Doing good. Uh, Mike and Grace, thank you for having me. Uh, but are we just going to pretend that we didn't have a fourth member that you got murdered and he's just sitting here dead just, just on the podcast? We're not going to acknowledge that? The unspoken rule in post-show recaps is that if you die during the podcast, we yeah. have to finish the podcast. Like yeah, that's, no that's the thing that happens. No yeah, one you leaves. put your little poster recaps ball in the little holder, and well, I'm not going to anymore. Considering now we know what they're used for, this is specifically true. blunt objects of death. Yeah, right in the eye hole. Yeah, yeah. traumatizing. Yeah. Do you think uh, Viserys could have used that as like a glass eye to pop? Yeah, yeah. I thought like Viserys? why is. Why isn't that in his eye socket? Like, that would have been like a fun little party trick. Like, let me let me show you my weird gold eye. Uh, there's heavy emphasis on these, uh, you know, in 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 council uh, balls this week, and I feel like uh, this week actually it looked like they were like customized. Like, oh, very interesting. They're really the props department doing great work. <laughs> it's like, oh, uh, it's actually a plot point that the little balls are here. Yeah. Yeah, so we've got a lot to get into. Uh, blood certainly spilled. Fire teased but not let loose. And crown falling upon ahead as I would say the first major step towards Targaryen civil war has been made. But first, Jason, we've been doing this with all of our uh, new guests on the recaps this season. Give us your own Westerosi-esque background. Uh, what is your history with uh, Game of Thrones or A Song of Ice and Fire? Uh, what has brought you, you know, to thinking through watching and talking about today house of the dragon through nine episodes well my my history with the uh overall game of thrones lore is not vast it's not great uh like many other shows that i've gotten into i found it through my wife who started watching it and then i walk into the room like what is this uh weird stuff she's like oh it's game of thrones i was like okay cool watch that so got involved in that i've never read a game of thrones book i have never read a house of the dragon book I got into House of Dragon because, hey, everyone did this Game of Thrones stuff. So that that's pretty much the extent of my history with Game of Thrones slash House of the Dragon. Not much. Just watch the shows. Do you have any favorite characters throughout? Uh, I would guess I would say Major League Game of Thrones, but even through nine episodes of House of the Dragon? I mean, I love Damon because he's so freaking messy, which I think everyone, you know, appreciates about him. He just I love how like when the in the, uh, you know, in the whole uh, when the family got together in the little like courtroom or whatever he's just like standing there just at the door just watching just being the messy king taking all in the drama he, so he's, he's been my favorite throughout this series so far i mean for game of thrones i mean i enjoy Jon snow i enjoy daenerys uh for the majority of the tv show uh so that's probably where my my favorite lies yeah as avid like uh you know tv watchers here i think uh very fair to relate to damon who's just like leaning in the back like watching the television episode of this fam this family uh fighting i think it's totally fair well i mean i, mean, I love the fact that this series so far has just been a like extended episode of like maury like you know we've got paternity <laughs> tests we've got yeah. like you know just uh i married my uncle i don't care who knows it you know it's well, like it's 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 an episode of Moria Jerry Springer, and I, I'm I'm yeah. really enjoying the fact that it's just one long episode of that. And and Mike, in this episode, this is like Moria's like, and Aegon, you are the king. And this is where like they run to the back, they run yeah. away. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they don't want to like, get the camera those. out of my face. No, no, oh, yeah. I, you did take the blood test. Your father may not love you, but you are the king. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, it got aired in front of the audience, and then the audience gets broken up by a dragon That's busting right. everything up. Uh, yeah. and, and I, I love guess, that episode 
Mark. I don't know. Was, was Westerling really like the the Steve Wilkos, like the big bodyguard? Yeah, he was, was the bodyguard for, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Westerling, unfortunately, I think it might be Kristen Cole. <laughs> well, now it's Kristen Cole. Yeah. Now, now that they're yeah. like, oh, it's, it's, it hasn't been good since uh, Steve Wilkos went to get his yeah. own show. Yeah, I can't wait till Westerling gets his own show where he's doing he's doing his own fraternity yeah. reveals. Listen, I mean, it's better than what he's been doing on the show so far, which is uh, next to nothing. All right, so here's the thing. Let, let me put my ball in its casing right now and like put, put float out my opinion, as is with every episode of House of the Dragon and basically every episode of television that I get the pleasure of talking about. There are certainly things that I really enjoyed. I thought this was a really fantastic Allison episode. I thought this was a really great Renice episode. Uh, if you watch the next time on, it is not the last time we will see the character, but I think certainly the climax of everything that has been built up for this character and this arc to this point but I would, uh, I'd be remiss not to say that this was my least favorite episode of the series so far. I think, to me, listen, it's a tough act to follow. The past two episodes were probably my favorite in the entire series so far. Uh, equal parts, you know, just the, the the internal conflict boiling over with also some, like, semi-sweet moments in there as well, leading to this just absolutely beautiful farewell performance for Patty Constantine when he's not, uh, you know, a mummified dead body as Viserys <laughs> yeah. Targaryen. I, I think it doesn't help that you have four main characters that the show kind of focuses around and one of them is dead and two of them are not in this episode. And so by proxy, from my perspective, the main takeaway I took from this episode is like, there's some really great stuff in here but the episode largely focuses on characters that I do not care about. Uh, and that made it difficult for me personally. I think there were some, I'll use the term, uh, stupidly gratuitous moments that happened in the episode as well that we'll certainly get into. I think I think this was like one of those times for me where House of the Dragon, which again, I've been largely enjoying up to this point, kind of had an episode where uh, it kind of showed its, its Achilles heels, in my opinion, in terms of uh, the way that things have been structured and written it's tough as well. Again, going back to expectations, we look at penultimate episodes of Westeros shows as like the hallmarks, right? All the way going back to Ned Stark losing his head. We always expect when we see episode nine's coming up, something big's going to happen. And it certainly did in the end, but I'm not entirely sure. And I guess the Versus podcast will dictate this this week firsthand, but whether this measures up to those other types of episode nines, it was very different, which I don't mind but I wouldn't necessarily say it was the strongest. Uh, please, Jace, Luke, sit down. Uh, I didn't use strong in that <laughs> way, but definitely not the strongest episode in my opinion. Grace, what are your thoughts? I I agree with a lot of that. I think that this is an episode that I might come back to and find a lot of you know lots of really good stuff in here. I do agree that it had a lot of expectations weighing on it i think it's the official house of the dragon uh a twitter account or perhaps the hbo twitter account literally tweeted out a like look what happens in the penultimate episodes of our shows and like you know a bunch of still images from all these episodes and that's like a lot of expectations to put on this this episode that i think is Gosh, we talked about episode six, I believe, being a repilot of of, mm -hmm. short, of of sorts in the in the fact that that was the um, the actor changes. And I think to the point of this episode, you know, a lot of I think what we've seen so far, you can consider prologue a bit to the Dance of the Dragons that we're now officially in. And I don't 
I think I can see thematically, yes, we'll do sort of this bottle episode of the Greens taking power. And how does that happen? And that's like a very interesting part of the book. And I was excited to see how it happens. And I kind of felt that while I have loved the episodes that have felt really slow and tense, um, that I, I feel sort of uncomfortable watching it in the ways that I like watching uncomfortable TV. I don't really have that same feeling in this episode. Uh, I didn't feel uncomfortable for the right reasons. Oh, Mike yes. I, I, there was moments where I don't know. I just uh, and even the final sting of the episode, it's like really cool, like visually. But I don't know that it like makes a ton of sense for me. And that feels like the big moment of like episode nine that they're going to, you know, be like, yeah, this was the episode nine thing. I'm running like the beast beneath the boards. It's not that we got it last episode. We got it in this episode again. And I just felt like it uh, kind of took me out of it a little bit. Um, there's lots of, as we go through, as you said, Mike, that I really like, I do think there's some really strong uh, character work in here. Um, but for the most part, I, I felt kind of like, this is the episode. I think, I think someone has said this before that I felt, I think you've said this, Mike, that like, it was the first time I was like, yeah, okay. I'm like looking at the clock, you know, and I normally like look at the clock, not from a like, oh, is it over soon? But from a like pacing, I, I like mm -hmm. really like to, you know, even the movie theater, I'm always like, all right, like, okay, we're here because it's like an hour and a half in, you know, like I'm trying to like figure out where we go, even if I don't know the full length of the episode. Um, and in this one, I was looking at the clock to be like, yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, okay. Not much is happening yet, you know? Um, so yeah, we'll get into it. I, I hope that we come off more uh, critical than negative in our in our in our recapping of, of this episode all right jason are are we in, in agreement on this podcast or do you have any uh, other types of thoughts with regards to what you're what you were thinking about episode nine this week yeah i think i think we're pretty much in agreement it felt like somewhat of a momentum stopper whereas the show up until now has felt very kind of like breakneck pace where we're doing a lot of time jumps we're doing a lot of story in a limited amount of time but this felt like like, this episode could have been an email. Like, okay, Aegon <laughs> is going to be the king. Cool. Do we have to draw out the whole thing of trying to find him? I mean, parts of that did, like, you know, I liked parts of that, but it felt like it went on way too long. And like Grace said, you know, watching the clock, I was also kind of like, okay, so when are uh, Rhaenyra and Damon going to enter the scene? Like, when are we going to go to those characters? I was just kind of watching it and be like, okay, we only got, like, 20 minutes left. Like, when are we going to see that side of the coin? Like, are we not going to see the side of the coin at all? Which we didn't, which was for sure disappointing. Like you said, Mike, you know, these two main characters have been part of the show for the last eight episodes, just not in the episode whatsoever was very, very disappointing. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, while I did like parts of the episode and Mike, I, I get the feeling that you are not into child fighting pits or feet, which uh, is cool, I guess. But, uh, you know, there were parts of the episode I liked and definitely was mostly underwhelmed i would say yeah listen uh yeah you found my two anti-kinks i suppose that's another <laughs> mori episode right it's the opposite of like i'm in love with my car strange addiction i think <laughs> that's the name of the show yeah uh all right well let, let's get into the green council because i do want to start on a positive note quite literally this was the first episode of the series for me where i really took notice of ramin jwadi's music uh mm. i thought it worked really well here i think he just used that motif. It started with like that one plaintive note plucked out on the piano, right? And I loved it recurring throughout the episode. In the behind the episode section that followed the episode, uh, Sapochnik and Kondal tried to like say that this was attempted to be made as sort of like a tense Hitchcockian thriller, 
right? As if Aegon is the MacGuffin, uh, the Aguffin, if you will, and they have to try to find him to say, like, whoever has first hands on him, essentially, is going to be the one to tell him whether or not to put Rhaenyra to death, essentially. And that's still a little TBD. Uh, I don't know if Allison has completely won him over or not by the end of this, but the music, I think, certainly contributed to it. And Grace, I loved how it kept coming back throughout the episode. Again, going back to that clock metaphor, almost like keeping the beat, I would say, of the episode proper. Yeah, like uh, Viserys' heart might not be beating, but we have this like this this looming thing in the background that I, I did think, I, I thought the that first opening montage of uh, the Red Keep just being silent uh, and empty um, and, and like harrowing, it's spooky season, you know, uh, felt very... Uh, it, I loved it. I love the imagery of just, you know, and if I think the episode again to where I'm like going to critique it a little bit, I was ready for this episode to come in like so full force. And I thought that that the beautiful montage at the beginning of, of the silence and eeriness of the keep was to say, this is the calm before the storm, you know, while the King is sleeping and nobody knows he's dead. Okay. And then, you know, then we get into the rest and I'm like, Oh, it's like, plotting it is not as bad of a storm as i thought you know it's like uh, i didn't need us you know to, i need to board up my doors i think yeah, um, oh, yeah. you have all that milk and bread in your corner now being like right. all right because we're gonna have a milk bread party uh just to get rid of it all so this is a conversation that admittedly we had prior to this podcast and i'm imagining a lot of you listening had it as well so we see this young wayfish <laughs> blonde mop haired boy yeah. creep creep creeping down the stairs he's gonna go down to the kitchen to talk with this woman who we will find out over the course of this episode and was sort of like confirmed i think after the episode aired and like people attracted more is talia who is the handmaiden of uh, the lady in waiting i should say of the queen of allison Talia is also, also the person who went to Missaria last yep. week yeah. to be like, uh, yeah, rough night at the castle or whatever. You right. Know? One, yeah. of, one of the spies feeding the weaver, as Lyman will put later on. But Jason, I think the three of us figured out offline, this boy is not a Targaryen. He has nothing to do with them. Assumingly, this is someone who is also part of this metaphorical web who's trying to spread the word up the ladder, as it were. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know what to think when the episode first came on and we just got this boy running through the, like, the, you know, the keep was like, is this, is this one of the, you know, Rainier's children that slipped past us? Is this, a, are we in a time jump? Are we in, like, some other grand, is this some other grandchild of someone? But there is another all- Targaryen kid, or, uh, yeah, Targaryen kid who's just, like, yeah, not I, here. I, I was like, maybe yeah, it's I, yeah. I do remember, yeah. yeah, I think, I forget if we talked about this online or offline, right? Like, there's this one kid who got set off to Old Town, I think it yeah, was. Darren. And so, like. Yeah. yeah, so there's interesting talk, right, of like, well, the, there's also this guy. Uh, it's not just a- a Helena and Aegon and Aemon. There's also this guy who's, like, doing pretty well for himself. And then in my head, I was like, oh, I figured it out. It's the kid who, like, ratted on Damon and Rhaenyra in the in Fleabottom. I was like, oh, no, that kid would be, like, 20 years old because of all the time jumps. I was like, I don't know, Jason. I don't know who this kid is. Yeah, yeah I mean, we got, like, two just random kids thrown into our laps last episode. I was like, maybe this is just some other random kid, some other random Ra- Rhaenyra kid. Who yeah. knows? Who knows if we're in a time jump who knows if we are now into a reign of uh you know rainier i i don't know anything about the book so i didn't know what to expect uh mm. so you know i didn't know what was going to go on here but uh to find out it's just some rando kid you know as we as we talked about in the pre-show it couldn't be sir rando who knows uh so uh i was slightly disappointed <laughs> to find out it was no one of really importance but what matters is we do go to someone of great import as the person we're going to spend a lot of time with this episode Alicent, and 
a lot of deserved praise heaped onto Patty Considine's performance last week. This, to me, was Olivia Cook's Emmy episode, in my opinion. I, for, you know, what Al- for what Allison did when she was at her worst a couple of episodes ago, uh, as, you know, Rhaenyra tells her, now they see you as you are, I thought she was pretty damn sympathetic in this episode, starting here with her being so incredibly despondent. I think it's so interesting uh, to go back to the verses of it all, right? Like seeing how she reacts to Viserys' death versus how Cersei reacted to Robert Baratheon's death. Like you could tell she did truly care about Viserys just through everything that has happened, which again, it's a nice like hint into a bit of that relationship that we didn't see. And it's also nicely counter to when she dropped by her father and he's like, Great. Operation London Bridge Down is in effect. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the one thing I think came out of last week's episode and the prophecy of it all that I think was very controversial uh, to have sort of this like sitcom misunderstanding at the end of the episode was there was this idea of, well, what if she actually understands what Aegon or Viserys story is saying? Um, because even when I was rewatching, you know, in the previously on, and he says, uh, the prince that was promised, that was you. It's, it's you, he says. Uh, how would Allison think it's it's her? Doesn't matter. So I think there was a lot of thought about how much is she just now totally, you know, uh, I don't know the right term, but like sort of so in this now that she, she has blinders on to the fact that, uh, you know, and, and so, okay, I have to use this. This idea that her dad keeps saying, and I think this will be fun on, the, on a full rewatch of the series is, you know, uh, Rhaenyra is going to kill your children. And as soon as Viserys dies, Otto goes, okay, well, we have to uh, kill Rhaenyra and all of her children. <laughs> it's like, well, that's the thing you said they were going to do to us, uh, which I think is is fun. I think Alicent is probably the most complicated, complex character uh, so far because, yeah, it seems like she genuinely believes the prophecy and that what Viserys was telling her was that Aegon needs to be king. So that's what she's choosing to do while also still trying to be a good person through this and not kill Rhaenyra. Um, yeah, uh, I thought it was a very great episode for Allison. Yeah, for this, oh, sorry, just to see her throttle from, you know, at some points in the series, madness to at other points realize she's way in over her head to now just trying to clean up the mess that she's made and to prevent even more mess uh, was such a great performance here, like you guys said. And uh, it was just, yeah, it was a very nice performance for her and just to try and gain control of the situation uh, that she's in right now. So this is a big episode for Allison and a similarly large but very differently toned episode for Otto Hightower, who we had spoken about uh, basically since the last time jump, right? Since they went to Driftmark, it's like, okay, I guess he's back, but he's not really doing much. Uh, And it seemed like he was just the predator lying in wait for this to happen before he was able to come out and make sure that we remember just how much of a despicable a-hole he is. Jason, what are your thoughts about Otto that perhaps were magnified by the actions of this episode? Uh, you know, like I didn't think much of Otto before, but now his his true machinations are are coming to light. Uh, you know, it feels kind of like a like a little finger light, maybe. But um, you know, I, I do enjoy Otto for his machinations and for what he's trying to accomplish, and he knows kind of the right buttons to push to to get there with both his you know the people in the council and his daughter, who seemingly now is rebelling against him. Uh, but I, I do enjoy Otto and his uh and, and you know his his plots and schemes. Yeah, I don't know. Grace, for me, it's like, I, I'm more, well, 
I would say up until this episode, I was mm. more interested in the machinations of someone like a Lyman Strong than I was in an auto, just because, like, at least I get some sort of sense as to, like, why he wants this or, like, some uh, interesting dimensionalizing with this character. Like, honestly, outside of his dead wife, I really know next to nothing about Otto Hightower besides he wants power. And I guess that's fine, but again, in a series that even... Uh, whether it be Game of Thrones or even House of the Dragon proper, you just spoke of Alicent, like, does a really great job of drawing out these hugely complicated portrayals of people as people. I don't really see Otto Hightower as a person, to be completely honest. Yeah, he has this line that's supposed to be quite cutting later to, to Alicent, that I'm sure we'll get to, about her mother. And I feel like because it, it kind of comes out of nowhere. It feels like it feels like it's supposed to be a slight, but I'm like missing all of the context for that. And I feel like that is some of, again, where I think um, the show, I said this, I believe a few weeks ago, I think Josh said it on maybe the book club podcast that I feel like one of my biggest critiques of the show is that it often is giving really big, it wants these really big, shocking surprising moments and that the way it's doing it is at the expense of all the character development at least before that moment happens and i think the show has done pretty good job at making like i feel like if we go back and listen to a lot of our podcast mike it'll be like ah, oh, i wish they explained this thing and then the next week like that thing will be sort of explained yeah. better like i think that the this is a good example of that this episode is like eric and, and Arik. like we're not and because i have the like book knowledge i'm like oh that that felt like a that felt like a really bad throwaway line and this episode they get a little bit more into it i think even that has been confusing for people but yeah, yeah take out one yeah. of their eyes i want to be able to yeah. recognize them physically <laughs> yeah. yeah um but i think i think Otto has been a little bit of the the, the expense of that i do love that he's you know if we're going to speak reality tv language he comes out so strong and gets cut down uh, like immediately but somehow like redemption island is here and he gets to come back uh <laughs> when lionel strong is up and but he's like you gotta play it way cooler like wait for the actual head of the set you know the, the big guy to get got before you start actually making your moves um like this is this was viserys was his meat shield and so i do quite like that he he goes a little bit too hard. He learns from his mistakes. He sits in the shadows and waits. He does a little golf claps at, at family dinners. And as soon as Viserys is dead, he is like his knives um, are out. And that has been compelling to me. Um, and that he, yeah, he is like this, I think, this grandfather who could just see that like, yeah, my my son gets to now uh, be the king uh, and sit on the Iron Throne. That's That means a lot of power for, for Hightower. So uh, I think it's going, I do think I would like a little bit more about their you know his his previous dynamics what's mostly working for me i think yeah i think using your reality tv comparisons is very apt because he's a game bot essentially yeah. right yeah. like he's all strategy all game and not a lot of personal contents which again you can take right. or leave i think when you're focusing on the political machinations and like how it builds the allison stuff it's interesting so let's talk about you know Otto not being the lone voice in the room to vocalize these types of machinations, right? The small council gets together, the titular Green Council, and basically has talked about how Viserys the Peaceful has passed away, but we've been given a gift. It turns out that on his deathbed, he said that Aegon should be king, and it's not a misunderstanding whatsoever. <laughs> We're going to take it as letter of the law and start an entire war about it. And yeah, Otto gets right down to business, right? Uh, about like, okay, now first order of business, there are two people who are loyal to Damon. Let's cut their throats. Uh, any traitors are going to be brought in. We're going to string them from the rooftops and maybe eviscerate their guts inside out if we so see fit. And Allison is going to 
really start the steps, Jason, toward down this staircase of her truly uh, realizing the man that has raised her his entire life. Yeah, I mean, she's taking the blinders off at this point to realize like who her dad is. I, I have to wonder what the what the plan was if if Allison hadn't brought this to their attention and hadn't said that Viserys said this because it seemed like they had already had a plan hatched and they were going to find some other way to bring about. But this oh, fantastic! We don't have to like have a whole you know usurping. We can use this as a justification. This is fantastic. Except. For one lone voice in the crowd. I will say uh, this is a fantastic episode to uh, really push forward the idea of peer pressure because you find out yeah. what happens if you're the one person to speak up in a room. Look at Lord Peasberry here buzzing about. Uh, he is at butts uh, 70 and 6, which is odd because like it definitely seemed like he was a bit older considering how his mind may have been going uh, after the last time job. But it's his mind is at least all there to to smell a traitor. And so he is going to, you know, stand his ground. He's going to say, essentially, I knew Viserys the best out of anybody here. Like, are you actually suggesting that the king truly said this, went back on his word at the last minute? Isn't this really ironic? Isn't this really convenient? Perhaps one of you in the room did this. I mean, he's obviously digging himself a hole further and further that's going to lead to the hole that's going to be in the side of his head, Grace, when Kristen Cole just shoves <laughs> his head into a ball bearing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the lone dissenter, someone in the room to start to speak up. Uh, I mean, interestingly, kind of like also Allison being like, uh, you, guys, you guys plan this? Like, what's going on? I, I sort of um, love that. I think a lot of this show has been about, you know, misogyny to, and and the fact that they're like we don't want to burden you allison um with this thing but also you know funny that like beesbury's also <laughs> like yeah we're not inviting the snitch he'll snitch on us immediately um but you know yeah to leave her out of this plan i think it's a really good point jason that like yeah this, this prophecy thing comes up wow that's perfect even if it does sound very silly it, she believes it to be true, so let's let's use it. Um, but uh, yeah, poor Beesbury, uh, not going to be around uh, to see any of the the plans to put uh, uh, Aegon on the throne put into place. Jason, can you give me your thoughts on Kristen Cole? Because here's a guy that has been, you know, hot and and cold, much like the summers and winters in Westeros. Even in this scene, right where he like commits a full murder when he's accosted for it threatens to kill the man that is threatening him. And then finally, when Allison's like, okay, stand down, also do this thing for me. He's like, yes, my queen. What are your thoughts on this guy? Kristen is like, he's like a puppy dog who doesn't know his own strength. He's like, killed that one guy just by pummeling his his head in. And is seemingly rageful, unable to stop. Now he's just like, I don't, I don't know. He just tried to sit the guy down and ends up smashing his head into this ball bearing. Like, Kristen is a problem. Kristen is a rageful monster who is, you know... <laughs> whoever whoever he is serving is his like his one true master i suppose um but yeah i i don't like Kristen. chris is not a good guy to me he kind of a jerk yeah i was gonna ask jason uh i agree that it was a little odd how like forceful it was apparently for Kristen to sit this man down to the point that he was able to like point blank murder this man via a metal ball through his head whoopsie and then Could wasn't it... like oh my god i accidentally killed this guy He's just like oh yeah could it, be, could it be possible that uh, Kristen Cole was susceptible to, I guess, wildfire, which is the Westerosi version of gamma radiation, and that he's possibly a Hulk in disguise? 
That's totally true. He, he went berserk. He got mad and he just didn't know his own strength. He just tried to sit the guy down and he just ended up forcing his head onto a table. You know, he's, he just, he, he hulked out, you know, that's, that's the excuse we have there. Yeah. I don't know. Grace. It, it was a, so wild, so wild to just watch this happen, both from again, the payoff of the little ball bearings as we spoke about before, but also like to essentially have Kristen Cole pull the Joker from the dark Knight in terms of making the <laughs> yeah. disappear. Yeah. Very true. Uh, and Harold Westerling being like, well, that's a, that's a offense. That is you. I think you need to <laughs> well, maybe be arrested. I think you maybe need to be arrested. Well, and that's I love not great. Kristen Cole being like, uh, but Alicent, I was actually defending uh, your family's honor. And she's like, I, I was not smirched so actually it's fine <laughs> he's yeah, such no, a little coward he puts his sword down i love but it I, but i love that as a reversal though of driftmark right where she's right. like sir Kristen, they have dishonored me you must go take this child's eye out and he's like that's not my job it's the exact same thing here she says that's not your job please put your sword down you'll be you'll get his cloak later on don't worry yeah i think that this i think this scene shows it like she you know not actually but got into bed with Kristen Cole and and her father and all these people who like now she's like oh god this sucks but like what is my other choice what do I actually what do I actually do and again I think that's like part of as I was saying like the 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 theme of this of this show is that um you know and I'm I'm that women in power don't often have as much power um as as they rightfully should, you know? Um, and so the, as she's sort of like looking at what, as soon as Beesbury's dead, it's like, well, these are my bedfellows and also my son who's terrible and great. Cool. Well, what else am I going to do? Where else do I go? What, uh, like there is a choice to like try and leave, but that would be impossible as well. So she's stuck, I think. And it'll be very interesting. I think to continue to see how much she's like willing to try and assert any control, right? She does try to like, push back on auto but but what does she end up doing she still ends up putting Aegon on the throne so so that's the thing right is yeah i agree that she certainly uh assumes her power in this scene right like she even turns to what's his name lannister and is like you know keep talking to me like that and i'll send you to the wall and i'm like okay allison yeah you're coming through now a little bit of redemption going on but what's post her is understandably like okay what's your idea for what to do next? Because essentially what Otto is alluding to, right, is like, we have to basically kill Al uh, Rhaenyra and her entire family now that, you know, either they have to swear loyalty to Aegon, renounce her claim to the throne, or they're going to be killed to uh, ensure, quote-unquote, stability for the land. And Alicent basically says, like, that is not the king's final wishes, nor would those be my final wishes. Rhaenyra and I were just getting along last episode. But because she has no viable solution for the moment, they're going to move ahead with this plan. Now, she eventually is going to kind of, you know, circumvent that and do things in her own way. But Grace brings up a good point, Jason, that like there is an inevitability here, at least in this moment, where I do feel like this is eventually like a win for the auto side of things at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, she still wants to have a win for her family, but she wants to do it with little bloodshed which i think she's kind of fooling herself uh thinking that that's a way that she can do this i think it's gonna be a lot of bloodshed in this but she is trying to avoid it i you know i don't know why we couldn't have just like weakened at bernie's this shit and like <laughs> like got viserys on the throne and be like i want Aegon to be the king now like see oh, that's what he said they, oh, you all heard it let's do a west rosy deep fake you know like yeah. look oh we have this message from well, you viserys. all heard it yeah, that's what he said so in the in the 
book, and I'm sure book club will get into it. This like time of like nobody knowing Viserys is dead is like ten days of nobody oh, wow. knowing, and also like to the point of like not letting anybody see Viserys, uh, which is a much more cruel thing I think that like would have been done to Viserys if you think about. Like, you already saw how he looked at the end of last week's episode. Imagine ten days of lying in that bed. Um, and so I actually I think like I don't. I, I am with them that like I don't think you can do ten. I mean, it's hilarious, and I'm like, yeah, I don't think they can do a time jump <laughs> of ten days. That sounds like a lot. Mike whoa, and Jason. whoa, whoa! I don't know yeah, if they can do that. Time jump. That's, that's crazy. Um, the thing is, they haven't done a ton of time jumps that are in episodes. Like a lot right. of the, it's like yeah. I think it's one of the things that's like working against them is that they're often like, yeah, but here's the microscope here, like right now, and we're not gonna move it during the episode. Um, but yeah, it's a lot more like cruel and deceptive and i felt like yeah this felt a little bit more hasty uh i mean i, yeah, I guess it is because they're like doing all of this stuff in a day um but yeah just a just a note there yeah so yeah allison is going to you know check in with her children helena is just there again cross-stitching a spider talking about uh it is our fate to crave what is given to another she will again mention the beast beneath the boards Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But the the major question of, I would say, the first two-thirds of the episode, right, for everyone is, where's Aegon? They want to not only find out where he is to, like, let him know, hey, uh, yeah, you're the understudy. You're on now, tonight. Uh, you know, Beanie Feldstein, she's not going on. You're, you're <laughs> no. This is your funny girl moment. Uh, but uh, actually, yeah, actually, you know what? Actually, the funny girl drama does kind of mirror House yeah. of the Dragon, right? Because, like, yeah. Aegon is Leah Michelle in a manner of speaking. And then it's like, all right, I guess you're, they're bringing you in now. And even, even if you don't want to particularly do it, and even if, you know, you cause some drama behind the scenes. Uh, and essentially, it's going to be you know, Otto is going to said the unfortunately name for our sakes, Eric and Arik, the car, the the Cargill brothers, essentially, yes. uh, who were introduced in the last episode as what we thought was a throwaway joke, but no, it turns out they're nope. actually going to, you know, play a role here. And so Allison is going to go underneath her father's nose and essentially like, you need to get to him first. So she sends Kristen Cole, and going alongside him is Eamon. And Eamon is another character I want to ask your thoughts about Jason, because I will say. The children are a little ubiquitous in this most recent time jump, probably with the exception of Amon, who is like the black sheep that has the, the most deadly bite possible. Yeah, I mean, who knew losing an eye just automatically made you badass? Um, but yeah, he's uh, he knows what he 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 wants to be what 
his brother is, but he knows his brother's not fit for it. I was honestly kind of surprised that he didn't like kill his brother in this moment, like when he finds him, just to be just to be the the king now, because he he wants that. He knows his brother's not fit for it. I, I like Eamon. Uh He I confuse him with Damon all the time because they look almost very similar. Uh, but I, I'm a I'm a and they're anagrams you know, of each other. Yeah, exactly. Take yeah. uh take the uh one letter off and put it on the other side. Uh, but I I do like Eamon. Uh He's a uh, he seems to be ambitious and. You know, like you said, he's, he's, he's not fleshed out all the way yet, but I, I do enjoy him. So, Grace, I want to mention, though, a, a quick Cole, uh, you know, Allison moment here, because we obviously got one, like, in the very beginning of the time jump, but we haven't had a lot since then. When she talks to him about him going out, you know, in disguise in his civvies to go get uh, Aegon, she basically says, you know, everything you feel for me as your queen uh, and that is like the biggest dot, dot, dot there. And we, I think, sort of alluded to this when we talked about, I think, episode five, right? When she's the one that stops him from committing Harry Carey in front of the Weirwood uh, after, you know, he has killed Joffrey at the wedding. So, like, are we to assume that this guy is harboring a bit of a crush? It seems like from Allison's perspective, like, she would not pull a Cersei and actually consummate that relationship. But it seems like both he has attachments to her and she is aware of those attachments. Yeah. I think a hundred percent and she's using them for her own benefit, you know? Um, and I think she's using them here to basically make sure that Otto doesn't kill Rhaenyra, right? That, that Aegon does not, uh, that she can get to Aegon and convince him not to spare everybody else and so i i feel like yeah it's it's interesting because i feel i feel like it's um you know i feel like any other time she would say that this is sort of like behavior unbecoming of a queen except that it sort of like can fit her narrative of what she needs to do in this exact moment to be able to do it this is sort of she's um i don't know whether i would go all the way to say like lawful you know evil i, I don't know i would say evil but she's lawful right and, mm. and I, but i feel like you know this is kind of like uh like making the rules up as I go to make sure that they fit right. That like, well, I'll do, I'll, of course I'll like, you know, flirt with, you know, like, like make allusions to his love for me and remind him of that. So then he goes and does the thing that's very good for the realm. Uh, I feel like is how, uh, when, when Allison decides, that's the part that I think she's like good at the game, right. That, that she's mm. good at the game of Thrones. Um, in that she is, she, she knows, right. That, that what Kristen, um, how he feels for her. And yet she can also fall back on, well, we're both like, you know, we both follow the rules. So nothing could ever happen, even if, you know, Kristen pushed her on it. Right. So let's dip into flea bottom this time in the daylight. We are no longer under the cover of night as we were back during that infamous episode four, but we perhaps find even more ghastly sights. Uh, we got to talk about the child fighting pits, which I, I never thought we'd actually talk about in a game of thrones show grace do you know is there any like canonical mention of this yeah. whatsoever is this oh it yeah. is okay yeah um it's from uh i believe it's from the books and it has a, a specific name that i'm yeah but this idea that they sharpen their teeth and make them grow their fingernails and they uh fight uh in these in these pits and I actually believe it's much more uh the, uh the the thing about the book is that it's different um different people are telling it and depending on which side they're on during this time, they might give a more favorable accounting of where perhaps everybody agrees that Aegon is 
not uh, where he is supposed to be that he is out in flea bottom it's just like oh was he with a, a like the daughter of a very wealthy trader or was a trader as in like a, a merchant not a trader or is he in the fighting pits being like pleasured by a woman it's like, it's like you know those are the uh, uh, the differences between where you might find Aegon. but yeah this is canonical Interesting. Yeah, Jason, listen, you and Grace are both connoisseurs of sports. You both actually covered another HBO Oh my god, that, I was very time. worried where the end of that sentence <laughs> Yeah, what are you connoisseurs of? So I'm on not... the topic of children <laughs> fighting pit. This is my poor my Mori moment, and this is where, like, sit yeah. down, I have some video footage to show of you. Where we I have not you. been to a child <laughs> fighting pit in at least five years. You cannot yeah. use that against me. And there's statues yeah, of limitations, Jason. So yeah. It walks in, yeah. and they're like, oh, hey, it's your, you got, like, your uh, your souvenir cup that you get to bring in just to make sure that you don't, they don't over charge you for the drinks uh but what what did you think i guess not from like a sports perspective but just like this entire idea that sort of comes and goes and i again this is a sort of the unfortunate benefit of us just having watched the episode i think it got burned down at the end of the episode i believe so yes i believe that's what is being burned down yeah all right so the the temporary end much like the xfl to the children's fighting pit <laughs> Uh, you know, the children's fighting pit uh, was disturbing, of course. And just to find that, you know, Aegon is, you know, kind of a, a proprietor of this. And not only that, but maybe one of his own progeny, one of his own children are being kept there as well. Is that what I was supposed to assume from that when someone said that that child is Aegon's? Yeah. So, like, uh, they see this little, again, boy in the corner, like, isn't that the boy from the opening scene? No, it's a <laughs> yeah. different no, it's child. Different, different white-haired kid. But yeah, he is a uh, one of it seems like assumingly many bastards of Aegon's, which uh, I guess he's just you know making the way for uh, Bobby B, right? Of just siring children all over King's Landing. These are known as the Rat Pits, uh, actually. I believe mm. this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's uh, you know it's an interesting sight, I would say, uh, having these children look straight out of the you know insert horror movie here, right, with their sharpened teeth and fingers. I'm glad we didn't focus too much onto it we will certainly get into more lingering gratuitous stuff later on uh i mean i was sort of like fine with it i'm glad grace that it has canonical stuff oh i don't think it is maybe it's not canonical maybe the idea with the rat pits are if i'm rereading this that he was at rat pits uh and rat pits being rats fighting uh wait what so how, what how do you do like do you train them <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, you make rat pits just sound like the you know the the cool restaurant that all the people in West in, in Westeros go to. He was at the rat pits, like, yeah. What, what do they do in the rat pits? I, I'm I'm confused. That might be yeah. Uh, apparently, uh, rats are made to fight against each other, or sometimes dogs are set upon the rats and compete to see who can kill the most rats first. Yeah, I guess uh, I'd rather yeah. see the dogs kill the rats than the rat. I feel like the like what would make the rats want to turn on each other. I don't know. I don't know. I, they probably like rabbits, you know? Uh, yeah, you're yeah. not going to like pay uh, them anything, right? Yeah. So I guess this is the, I, th I think, pro yeah, I don't believe it actually is. Uh, yeah. Okay. So then uh, if that's the case, like, yeah, I, I'm not sure how to feel. It feels a little unnecessary for me. I think for me, there are certainly times on in this show where they very much like, hey, remember us? We're still edgy. We're going to have a kid jerk off out the window. We're going to have a guy's <laughs> face get cut in half so only his tongue is left. It's like, uh, I guess these are boxes you you feel like you have to check. Do you have to check? I mean, again, it was like, I think uh, it, it was fine and more like world building, I guess, compared to those things. But I was sort of like, oh, 
okay, Flea Bottom's effed up, I suppose. Yeah, I feel like there's this thing where when House of the Dragon was was coming out, they were very like, okay, but don't we're not going to do a lot of the stuff that we did previously. Uh, notoriously, like the Sansa and Ramsay scene was like, mm-hmm. I, I think, very controversial at the time. And they're like, don't worry, we're not doing any of that stuff. And then they were like, had a book. They're like, okay, so we can't do anything from chapter, like this part of the book. <laughs> okay, so I have children fighting. What about that? They're like, I think that sounds great. And I feel like episode one had this a lot where it was like, I think a lot of this, you know, the the sacking of Flea Bottom uh, to mm-hmm. a degree with Damon that was like quite grotesque. And yeah, I just feel like they're like, okay, where can we still push? That I feel like it does feel a little unnecessary uh, in, in my opinion. Yeah. So uh, separate from all of this, right? Because the twins are checking that out. Amond and uh, and Cole hit a bit of a dead end. They go to visit a brothel, essentially that uh, Aegon had brought Amond to beforehand. And this is where we get a bit of light shed on Amond, both from the sun variety as well as from the plot variety, where. Eamon has, I mean, you've heard this before, a sort of second son, uh, mm. disgruntled, it sucks that my brother ahead of me, who doesn't give a lick about duty, is the one that has to have this. Well, just because of the fact that I was born later, despite the fact that I'm more well-studied, have the biggest dragon, am better at combat, am relegated to just wait for him to die, essentially, and hope that he doesn't have children. It's an interesting moment as well, because I think, it brings us back originally to like the OG Kristen Cole, right? Where Eamon stops himself from saying it is I who should be knowing that it is again, quite literally, you know, uh, treasonous probably to say that. And Cole responds, I know what it is to toil for what others are freely given. And we remember this was a Dornishman, right? Who like came to Westeros with nothing, pulled himself up by his bootstraps, squired for this random night uh, and ended up, you know, becoming the eventual Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, uh, leaving a very bloody trail in his wake. Just that I thought it was a small moment, but I think a really great moment to both open up Aemond and his own desires, as well as I think get a bit of like a nice reminder of the person Kristen Cole was before all this happened. Yeah, this is a nice little buddy uh, road trip that they that Kristen and uh, and Eamon went on for and for us to, sh- to see what Eamon truly thinks of his brother. I mean, I don't think it's a surprise that everyone thinks that uh, Aegon is an f up and that everyone can do better than him. So it was good to see that uh, vocalized by Eamon and to to know that that to know that he knows that he can do a lot better than his brother and to to vocalize that to Kristen and to Kristen to kind of to kind of uh, you know relate to him a little bit. That was a fun thing to see. Yeah, I love this scene. I I love. I Amond is my favorite Targaryen, and and I say this very much. I think I I came up with the perfect analogy. I'm a pro wrestling fan, so you give me mm. a good villain. Yeah, I'll like I like you know I can you know I want him to be beat up eventually, but that's fine. Um, and this scene, and I think that the the other thing that has been happening slowly is I've come to really appreciate a lot of the writing because I think as I did the versus pod last week, um, the Game of Thrones dialogue, like there's so many lines that you can just go to that like they almost, I said this last week that they feel like they were written before Game of Thrones and the Game of Thrones mm. used them, but it's not true. They're like, you know, a chaos is a ladder. You win right. the game, of, you know, you play the Game of Thrones, you either win or you die. All of these things that feel so iconic. And I feel like the writing here has been really good. This idea that they're looking for Aegon and he turns and he's saying, I'm the one who studies history. I, I you know, uh, I'm the one who is, is the swordsman. And he, he says, you know, uh, if they come looking for me, I will be found. Um, it's just this like, you know, he knows that like he, he's not probably going to be a king, but if his brother ever like, F's up, dies, runs away. He's like, 
I'll do it. Sure. I'm waiting. He's, you know, and, and I think even those seeds were planted earlier when he's you know, like, I would marry my sister. <laughs> yeah. if, I would say that's what Targaryens do, you know, like I'd marry my sister, uh, and which is very much how I felt that Damon was portrayed as actually this like family man hiding yeah. under that, that veneer, you know, uh, of, of uh, just looking for attention from his, from his brother. So I, I, I love it. And that's not exactly Aemon. Aemon is not looking for attention from Aegon. He's like, would you like, Freaking do the job. Like this is what you have to do. This is this is our job. You know. Uh, I think it's been really great. And this scene, it's very short, but I think it's very good. Yeah, I think prior to the whole eye slashing thing, like Eamon was perceived by me at least to be like probably the more most reasonable member of that entire young clan of children, right? Where and perhaps it does help that as the second son, he has had to be a bit more independent. It's a little Lyman strong again of like this idea of because the firstborn usually gets all the attention and all the responsibilities, namely the second child could go bugger off and do whatever the hell they want to. Uh, sometimes with Lyman, it's, it's inspiring behind the scenes. Sometimes it's Laris, 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 sorry. Ly I'm keep, uh, Lyman is the one that died. Yes. Yeah. Laris Lyman is died. One. Yeah. Uh, Lyman's a diamond. Uh, Laris <laughs> is alive. Uh, so yeah, well, Laris had did right of like, I'm just going to like, uh, as we we'll, as we saw in a previous scene of like all these lords being like, oh, you must bend the knee, and you're not going to leave the room until you do so. And he's just hanging out there. No one gives a lick what this man is doing in the castle at any point in time. And I feel like with Aemond, it's usually the same thing, except in this case, he's chosen to more so like dedicate himself to his studies. I'm like, yeah, I'm actually genuinely interested in this type of stuff, which should be interesting. I don't imagine this will be addressed in next episode. But I think certainly something to keep in mind for a possible season two as to I'm not going to pull a bees bearing uh, possibly a throw out there that this guy would commit, you know, regicide, let alone brother side in a manner of speaking. But I think the fact that we have that rack focus on the crown being placed on Aegon's head to him watching in the background is definitely pertinent here. Uh, speaking of, you know, the these lords, uh, let's briefly send off. This guy that we barely knew, quite literally, Lord Caswell. Uh, so this was this bald guy with the goatee. He's the one who ends up greeting Rhaenyra and, and Damon last episode in the place of Alicent and Viserys, which they found very rude. And he is uh, the he's going to bend the knee initially, but he's going to get caught trying to escape to tell Rhaenyra by Laris, and he's going to get hung for it. Jason, anything you want to say about him, either who he is as a character or what he represents here? I don't have much about Caswell, good old Caswell. I mean, he was a Rhaenyra stan. Uh, we appreciate that. He was trying to get word out. He almost got there, but friggin' Laris had to had to find him. But yeah, Caswell tried his best, but uh, you know, was eventually hanged for his troubles. Uh, you know, in that scene where they're talking about uh, you will bend the knee, does anyone else not want to bend the knee? Do we think that they got the same treatment? All the people that refused to, uh, you know, to bend the knee, or were they just taken prisoner? Were they also to be hanged later, but possibly? Yeah, I think it should have. I mean, <laughs> don't take this out of context, but they should have hanged all of them. <laughs> it would have been more impactful, yeah. right? To have them all. Uh, if none of you are going to uh, swear fealty, then then you yeah, all die. Because yeah. they all had the same intention, right? Which was like, no. If yeah. you don't bend the knee to the king, then you're supporting Rhaenyra, which is what happened with Caswell. Like, I guess he took it a step further by then trying to abscond with the information to True. Rhaenyra. But yeah, I mean, I was surprised, honestly, again, given the entire, hey, nobody leaves the room even if there's a dead man in a thing, if like uh, that they were just stabbed right there, right then by the king's guard. Maybe they just wanted to like keep it outside. You know, after the whole Vayman thing happened last week, they want to put as little bloodshed in the actual throne room as possible. 
Yeah. Um, I also love the scene where Laris tells, like Otto thanks Laris for, for doing his, his duty, doing his job. And he's saying, you know, you meet with my daughter. Like you meet, you meet with her quite often. He says, yeah, d- don't think that that couldn't be of use to you. It's like, ah, oh, he's so, he's so slimy. He's so, yeah, I, he's so hateable, Larry Strong. Uh, I mean, he'll become even more hateable <laughs> later when we talk about that scene, but. Um, Why is it it's just still... hateable? I... No, no, Grace. you don't get anyone. Come on. Grace. Yeah, Come we, on. We, don't, we don't kick shame around here. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I mean, well, to do it, to do it for power, I think maybe is the, you know, uh, through, through basically killing and whatever you know uh but uh yes the more heinous part of this whole thing uh but anyway uh alas um yeah he's like offering up his services to Otto as well uh which seems pretty pretty despicable yeah let's go from heinous to renice as uh she the queen that never was has been kept prisoner essentially much like what happens with caswell right like they're assuming once she finds out she's gonna go tell rainier which spoiler alert she is going to do uh by the end of this episode but they're delaying the inevitable here but this leads to one of my favorite scenes uh, perhaps a bit by default but i still think a very very good scene as allison is going to approach her and make the pitch right now like oh i'm so sorry i kept you waiting but all your fears are confirmed Viserys is dead. I'm going to put Aegon on the throne, and we would love your support. I know you did this entire gesture last episode, right, of the whole uh, print Lord of the Tides thing, marrying, uh, you know, Jace uh, Luke off to, to one of your grandchildren, but House Valerian has long aligned itself with the princess, and what has it gained you? Uh, she goes so far as to say, like, you know, I always thought you should have been queen, and God, I, I gotta give it to Renice in this episode. As much as I love Allison in this episode, Eve Best does her best in uh, this, in a show that, to be honest, I, I think actually kind of underutilized the character a bit, at least in comparison to what I thought it would be, as she just serves it up to her, right? She says, a true queen counts the loss to her people, and Renice applies, and you still toil into the service of men, your husband, your father, your son, you desire not to be free, but to make a window in the wall of your prison. And Allison really has no comeback for this. And it's going to lead, obviously, to Renice deciding not to join her cause with Allison. Jason, give me your thoughts on this entire scene. I mean, Renice, uh, you know, 2024. Like, uh, let's get her into power. <laughs> uh, Renice is a, is a, is a queen uh, in all respects. I like how she's like, come on, girl, girl power. Let's 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 make this a girl thing. Let's go. And you know, Allison's not hearing it, of course. But I, I do like that she turned it back on her. Like, hey, stop stop serving your you know everyone else. And don't you don't you think you should you know maybe be in power? Have you ever thought about it? I do like Renice giving her something to think about. I almost almost thought that Renice was going to come back and accept her offer once you got outside, and she was like, eh, maybe maybe this, maybe I should turn around. I, but she she did the right thing, and you know got that dragon from beneath the boards uh but i am a renice fan i did love this interaction uh between the two of them uh Rainey's giving it as good as she's getting it uh you know from from allison uh so um last week there was this idea when Rainey's has to come in and she ultimately announces the betrothal of uh, rhaenyra's kids and her granddaughters and there was some 
thought about, you know, when did she sort of decide and change mm -hmm. her mind? And I always think that um, she it's not like the choice was support Vaymond or support Rhaenyra. It was support Rhaenyra or support herself, make a claim for herself. That's what she says earlier in that episode. And I think that the only way I can really come to this, this end of the episode that she does not uh, immediately just set fire to all the high towers is that I, you know, I think I saw this uh, floating around was she's still sort of self-interested uh, uh, in a degree. Uh, he, and I think, you know, in, in this remark that she makes to Allison saying, you know, have you never imagined yourself like on the Iron Throne, which is very interesting coming from her because she basically has told Corliss many times, like, I'm done thinking about me being on the Iron Throne. And I think that's um, uh, true. But exactly which side she's taking, I think, um, is, an, is an interesting conversation here, because why not burn this whole thing? I mean, you already like, you know, emerged from the floor, uh, but we'll get uh, we'll get I imagine to that to that scene as we keep chatting. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing uh, that I, I really appreciate about this is Allison is coming in from this, like, idea of empowerment, to your point, Jason, right, of, like, girl power. I, I always love this idea. But Allison is, like, coming to it from the women empowerment thing of, like, as women, it is our job to empower the men. That's what women empowerment is all about, right? She says, uh, uh, we may not rule, but we guide the men that do. And Renice is like, no, but the problem is that we may not rule. That's the issue, first and foremost. Like, the, the cause is that we may not rule. There are these patriarchal rules that are set up that are, that are not allowing us to do that. And there's going to be people down the line uh, years and years from now, Allison, that, like, will essentially become queen regent and then take over the realm, unfortunately, due to tragic circumstances where, like, both of her children will die. And so she'll assume the position. But at the same time, like, it is possible if you believe it so. But the moment you put it out of your head and, again, I think it speaks a lot from Allison's perspective as well. She is a woman of law and order to a point that you made before, Grace. The reason why she is so embittered towards Rhaenyra and it leads to that that standoff at Driftmark is because she felt like she was able to cut corners and break rules and do what she wanted to do. Whereas Allison has been doing everything by the letter to satisfy the realm because that's what her father has told her since a young age. And so I think perhaps it just like was never something that either she thought about or like necessarily showed a lot of interest in because again the way it's always been is that men sat on the throne and so she just thought that she would naturally have that pitch point but i think renice due to perhaps the life she has led up to this point is like f no like you really want me to support this cause where yet another uh undeserving man is going to sit on this throne i i don't really care about that at this point uh, you're in this position right now where you hold everything in your hands. Why give it away at this moment? Yeah, I, I think that in the, you know, in, in the end, the, the decision here to like, you know, get her dragon and leave and break through the floor, but also not to, to, you know, Dracarys is there's all, I, I think that, you know, Rhaenys is, is, as self-interested, I think, as as they come, but not in this, I think, like, you know, in the way that Laris Strong is self-interested. There's this, it's, she's such a unique character. She's really, I think, uh, a very compelling character. And I think, you know, if anybody says, that's my favorite character on the show, I, you know, I think that's a good choice um, because, yeah, she's so interesting because we, you know, I think one of the first scenes that people in this, this uh, watching the show were like, that was amazing, was the Rhaenyra 
uh, Renice confrontation yeah. in episode one or two. I think it's two, two. Yeah. where, you know, they, they have such a differing view. And, you know, Rhaenyra says, I'm going to break, I'm going to break the system. I'm going to break the world. Uh, and I'm going to sit on the Iron Throne. And Rain is saying, that's not possible. Like, they will go to war to do it. And I think, I wonder if at this moment she says, you know, well, looks like they're going to war to do it. You know, it's like, okay, but then where do I sit? Where do I fit in all of this? You know, uh, is so interesting to me. So the twins are going to, well, actually, I think it's just Otto and one of the twins, right? Auric. So no, then the then the other one shows up there. He actually is there, like they because he's the one who puts the coin on the table. So one of them is sitting there, and he's the one who like does it. He's not in on this plan, and then the other one sits. And yeah. Puts so the so coin so let's, let's talk so, about that. Yeah. So there's Auric uh, and Eric. One's with an A, and one's with an E, and they show in the fighting pits that like despite the fact that they may look similar, they actually disagree on things where. Auric with the A is very loyal to the crown, right? It's like, yes. okay, we need this to happen. We need to put Aegon on the throne. Eric with an E is the one who says, okay, this guy is actually showing he's maybe not fit for service. Uh, maybe we shouldn't put him in the highest position in the land. He's going to be the one who later on ends up betraying the crown and helps Renice at least attempt to escape grace i know you came up with a fantastic demonic yeah. to help us remember this yeah so it feels like people are less likely to be on team green than they are on t uh, team black as it were and so because eric uh is on seems to need to be on team green he he's an a-hole and so eric with an a, uh er, no Eric with an a uh, yeah is, is on team green that's and then and then we have eric with an e uh you you said this he helps escape earlier so these are our mnemonic devices to help us you know remember who's on which side it yeah. may all be for not because like i don't know where eric with an e goes after this i would imagine he's not around so there might only be one uh one cargill brother left here we shall see that made things a lot simpler for us at home <laughs> i was like wait who's who i know i know well either way these two bearded guys right uh they're gonna go eventually find Aegon because Missaria is going to give away the location i guess she was able to f this woman just like pops up whenever uh she might as well be from karth because she just seems to be absolutely magic and showing up at the most opportune moments where she apparently found Aegon off screen absconded with him hit him knowing that he would be of import but she is able to negotiate at least like build down or burn down that ghastly children's fighting pit. Please. We're a reputable organization here in Flea Bottom. But the brothers are going to be able to drag Aegon out, who is just going to try to hoof it. But here we get a confrontation, small one, I would say, happening in this square. Jason, knowing what we know about Westeros, are you surprised that the confrontation was not larger between Aemond and Cole and the brothers? I was really surprised nobody was murdered during this yeah. uh, during this confrontation. I thought for sure someone was going to take a, a sword to the throat, uh, but it was just kind of like a, a rough and tumble. Like, yeah, we're all boys. We're just kind of we're just kind of tumbling around, just kind of roughing each other up a little bit, and just it ends the way it should end with uh, you know Aegon being captured. Uh, I enjoyed the, the you know the physicality of the fight because we didn't get much else of that during the episode. So I, I enjoyed the little bit of physicality we got in the episode. Can I just go back? I want to go to Mysteria just just very briefly because I think what this episode is really good for is to show that this power struggle is so much about these people and not the realm that they oversee. And that, mm -hmm. you know, um, this episode, I think, tries to, to you know, uh, make you sympathize a little bit with with Aegon. This you know this this whole point of him running away is that he he's literally trying to run away from being uh, the king, not just metaphorically. And Aemon has to 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 track him down. But um, 
uh, that's just so that he can keep doing the awful things that he wants to keep doing, like going to watch children fight. Um, that they're 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 all awful. They're all bad. And Masera being, you know, there to say sort of. Um, there are certain like power and, and you know things that people want that, that you'll never be able to take away. She's she's saying this to a man who absolutely could try to hunt her down um, and kill her. But and I think like the idea that she had found Aegon, I think that she had set herself up to you know, and this is probably something that could be explained a little bit more probably, but had made sure that Aegon knew that she was somebody who, if he ever needed she would be there, right? Uh, and not from a sympathizing with Aegon. This is a, how can I make the most out of all of these awful people, right? She knows Damon very, very well. And mm. uh, uh, yeah, so in part of the books, we um, talk about, when we're talking about the rat pits, like the other people, the other person who hung out a lot at the rat pits were, you know, even if it's just rats, it's supposed to the idea is that like so much of the rest of what was happening there is so awful and seedy and, and gross was Damon. Damon hung out there a ton. So uh, perhaps not at these child fighting pits. Uh, I won't put that on Damon's character. Um, but Viserys is the only one um, who, you know, I'm very interested to see your character going forward. I'm just like looking back, you know, last week with the versus, but uh, Averis is there being like, I only care to serve the realm. Whatever is the best yeah. for all of these people, that's all I care about. And I think uh, Masarian could be that person um, in, in the show, because uh, I don't I don't see anybody else who's like, yeah, the people. Um, we'll talk about yeah, a big I, way in which somebody's like, I don't care about the people <laughs> later. No, I mean, yeah. she's, she's a good comparison, because again, it seems like she is the source, right, of like all these spies as well, uh, when we talk about the spider, even though that's being crocheted from Helena. And I will say, I think it's a very necessary opinion, because this is something that I know I've certainly griped about, about this idea that because House of the Dragon is so insular, we really don't get a lot of sense at all as to how anyone else in King's Landing or Westeros thinks about any of yeah. this. There's all this talk, right, of like, you have divided the realm. And it's like, I, do, I would not know. Is any polling done? Like, is there a Nate Silver out there, Nate Dragon, uh, trying to <laughs> make sure, like, who's supporting whom? I feel like that sort of side of the the populace is missing. I think it's a choice. Like I think it's done deliberately so mm -hmm. that unfortunately pushes that away. But I guess if we have someone representing the common folk, I'm glad it is Masari. It also seems like she's a bit of taking like the Raz perspective as well, right? Mm -hmm. Of like kind of being the common folk that is speaking from a larger perspective. I agree that I really loved uh, that that line. There is no power but what the people allow you to take. And yeah, I mean that is a. Uh, Applies to democracy as well, but I think all, sometimes to monarchies too. I know this has certainly been discussed, uh, especially as of late, right? When a lot of like royal drama has come out of the UK, sometimes from an outsider's perspective, I mean, Grace, you're talking about the crown, right? With Shannon Gus, like sometimes you look at it and it's like, yeah, it's kind of like everything's being held up on invisible platforms, you yeah. know? Like it, it, the only reason why people put the queen on all their currency and everything is just because people have done it before if they wanted to, and if there was enough support, they could theoretically dismantle the entire structure. Yeah. And I think it's a good time to like bring this in because, um, you know, there's been political infighting between the family and trying to set their pieces. But now that, you know, as we see in the last scene, it's going to affect people like you know, fundamentally, you know? So um, yeah, it's a good time to start to bring in this perspective, I think. So uh, an interesting thing from, again, the standoff that really isn't, Jason, is like the Aemond Aegon stuff, which, again, is a perspective we don't necessarily get uh, with the way they're interacting with each other besides, like, Aegon just teasing Aemon. Aegon doesn't really want to do this. Uh, to the point where he begs Aemon, essentially, like, let me run away. I'll get on a boat. I'll go east alongside Lenor and uh, Carl and all everyone else. Uh, like, 
just let me leave. Uh, but Aemon wants him to face his duty, which is such, such an interesting thing because, again, like, as Grace mentioned before, you know, Aegon, we really did not know much about him besides his sexual activities um, over the past two episodes. And so this was an opportunity to really, like, get to know him and, yeah, pretty much confirm that he is neither ready nor willing to do this. It almost felt like if Aegon hadn't been taken, you know, taken by uh, by the White Worm or whatever, that he would have gone to her anyway and be like, hey, can you hide me? Because I don't want to do this. Like, I, can I just live in, like, the child fighting pits with you guys? Like, I just <laughs> I just don't want to really be a king right now. It's not really my vibe. It's not really the thing that I do. So can I just hide out here? Like, it, it seemed like he wasn't as much held captive as he was hiding. I love the, uh, he's like, I'm not suited to be the king. <laughs> be like no no disagreements for me i totally yep. agree yep. yeah cool but you have to come yeah your queen awaits yeah uh speaking of queen let's get to again in my opinion another excellent allison scene she's on a tear uh, perhaps licking her wounds a bit from uh, the lashings that renice gave to her she's gonna take it out on her father uh where essentially she's going to go meet him He's going to essentially write, like, after this confrontation, he now knows that Alicent had tried to send out a crew to do the same thing that he was trying to do, now has Aegon in tow. He says, well played. And she says, none of this is a game. And he says, yet you treat it as one. And she's like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Should we go down to the kitchen with that little blonde boy? Because I'll point to you the pot calling the kettle black right now. She comes right out and says, our hearts were never one. I see that now. Rather, I have been a piece that you moved about the board. Uh, and this is where I think, again, a bit of the mask off. She's realized what we've all realized right since those first couple of episodes, that he was utilizing her, his daughter, essentially, to set up this courtship to Viserys to hopefully get court, close to the throne. It's the reason why Otto gets dismissed in the first place. Uh, and so she's going to lay down the law right here, right now, since she has the power, since she has Aegon in her hand. She says, Kristen Cole will be the head of the King's card. Aegon will be crowned tomorrow. And we'll make sure that Rhaenyra is not put to the sword. And as Grace mentioned before, all Otto can muster up this man that will probably hopefully fall from a high tower soon is just, you look so much like your mother in certain lights. And Allison. Representing, I think all of us, Jason, just rolls her eyes and walks out of the room. I I really love that. I love that just the like so over it that Allison is in this scene and later when she's talking to to Aegon and he's like, "Do you love me?" He's like, "You're a freaking imbecile!" Like, I hate you. Like, and, and just just to be done. Like, I mean, like for her to approach her, I'm like, "Hey, you didn't set me up with Viserys just because he was a nice guy. You actually wanted some like power out of this, like." I'm realizing that just now. Okay, Allison, you're a little late to the party, but this is definitely someone taking, trying to take her power uh, where she can get it and trying to get it back. Uh, so I did appreciate this scene between the two of them. Yeah, I also love her demand here is he'll take Aegon's crown, meaning Aegon the Conqueror's crown. She she places uh, Viserys's crown on his body and, and he'll use Blackfire, uh, which is sort of the first real mention of Valerian steel swords we're, we've been mm -hmm. uh, getting. I, I can't really recall anything else from their season. There are a few that are important that will uh, you know belong to certain people. So this is kind of uh, fun. But I kind of, it's so, I think what's so fun about this is that she again this idea of like being so lawful that she's like well if we just put Aegon's crown on Aegon and we'll have him have a sword that will show that we're really strong and nobody will do anything about it which is like not well, she's trying 
yeah. she's trying to like logic her way like yeah. out of this and into this one yeah we we all know that rainier is not going to take this lying down like even her Too father late. says like that's not going to happen like you have to realize what the truth of the situation is we have to kill them before they come for us she says right. let the people remember the ancient strength of house targaryen Rhaenyra is also a <laughs> right, and I, and I think that's the thing as well that makes this again so complicated. Is like again, Otto is a, a a bad guy again, just like very politically minded, but like his movements movements are shrewd, but sometimes necessary to get the desired outcome. Where I think Alicent, perhaps as as Otto refers to right in this conversation, like is trying to much like her late husband try to have like the best of all possible worlds happen where okay Rhaenyra will not be killed but she'll honor the fact that Aegon you know is wearing this new crown and has this sword and everything she's trying to to eyeball the best possible scenario and we often know in Westeros the best possible scenario is as mythical as dragons are in Game of Thrones yeah she's they're just so late in the you're so far up the creek you know Allison like there's really nothing short of like exactly what Otto is telling you that will probably work in this situation without being without being some like drastic measure that reduces your strength anyway. So yeah, I I mean it's it's fun, right? Because it's like it's Otto's fault that they're that far up the creek. Um, and yet he's now kind of right in this situation. It's it's very compelling. I like it a lot. Yeah, like you're in for a penny, in for a pound. So like yeah. start digging. You know, you're already in the hole as much as you're trying to claw your way out of it. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, speaking of getting in the hole, let's uh, let's talk about this. Allison's going to steal her nerves after tensely staring down her father, letting out a bunch of emotions she's probably bottled up for years and years. In comes Laris. They're going to have a very valuable conversation. You know, Laris is going to reveal to her that there is this network of spies and that your closest confidant, the woman that, you know, is responsible for you getting dressed in the morning is the one that is revealing these secrets to these people outside of King's Landing. It is unfortunately overshadowed by the fact and the revelation that Laris Strong has a foot kink, for lack of a better term. I'm just going to come out and say it. This is stupid. This is the you imbeciles. I will tell to the writers' room. Yeah. I have I have so many thoughts about this, but Jason, I'm I'm gonna throw it to you first. The ball is in your corner, and I'm kicking it to you. Holy unnecessary, 
but pretty funny in my opinion. Like she takes her shoes off. I'm like, okay, oh, well, is she getting comfortable? Uh, I thought it know? was a power move as I was starting to. Yeah, yeah she's getting yeah. comfortable. Like I didn't think it was power. I thought it was like, yeah, getting comfortable. Yeah, I was like, oh, she's taking her socks off. Wow, she's walking around barefoot. I guess that's uh, gonna be you know starting to get ready for bed or something. And then he, you know, he reaches into his pants. I'm like, wait a minute, uh, this ain't great. What's happening? And then as she, you know, as she, how many times do you think this has happened before in their in their interactions? Uh, it seems to be a regular thing. Seems to be quite common. I don't, if this is the first one, well, it's like they're reading each other it's incredibly probably, well. Probably could count the number of times on yeah. both feet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let me make let me make my big complaint, and I I will I will apologize if I kink shame earlier. My problem with this is that. Uh, Laris is a, a man who has uh, a disability. He has, uh, uh, he's called clubfoot. He's a, a clubfoot. Um, the problem I have is this: it, it feels so gross from the sense that the idea here that I'm picking up that is because Laris doesn't have, like, he has one bad foot. He is getting off on the idea of these like beautiful feet, and I think that that is really like gross i i really am like i I, i'm quite frustrated that the show decided to do it because i think it's to the idea of it being wholly unnecessary it's that but it's also in my opinion it's very ableist from what i've seen so far in the sense that i was saying this to you mike before that it reminds me of this idea of like um there's a lot of a lot of images when stephen um uh hawking died of like oh well now he'll be in heaven without his wheelchair um and all and the stuff of like yeah that like but this is like in the grossest way imaginable of like, yeah, he gets off on perfect feet because he's a person who doesn't have perfect feet feels really, really gross for me. Almost like a line too far here. Like I'm, I, I'm really frustrated with this, with this uh, decision to put this in, in the show because it feels so shock value. And again, to the point of like, um, deciding to withhold information about characters to the point if i say i was on board with this idea that like this is the story they're going to tell they have never shown us anything about how lars feels as a person living with a disability in the show um it was a big reason why i was i was frustrated with the way that the the him killing his father and his brother happened because it was like no reason really why I felt like he would do that only then later for that information to start to come out. And so this feels like, again, I joked about this being like the thing, this is the thing I think people are going to talk about a lot this week. It's like two things is uh Rainice coming out a uh, uh, dragon back and the stupid foot fetish thing. And um, I think that it feels like they want this, like people talking about it. And I think that it, it's like, even if it was not ableist, it's like there's never been any like there's never been any examination into Lars as a person who lives with like a chronic uh, disability, you know. Um, so yeah, that's my rant about this scene. <laughs> yeah, deservedly so. And again, I I don't disagree. I think wholly unnecessary is a, is a great way to describe it. Especially like I'm fine at hinting towards it i suppose if you feel like you have to go in this direction this sensationalized thing of like and you won't believe that he likes feet too those tootsie wootsies but it's the fact that this man who is like incredibly subtle right is all about like skulking in the background and observing everything that comes his way is like yeah i'm just gonna like rub one out right in front of you like 
this character really would not be the one to be like, and I'm off to my chambers now. He really would be like, okay, well, now that that's settled, uh, let me get to the second matter at hand. Speaking of hands, like, it's it's just like, it almost doesn't seem like in line with his character as well. For like, how did, he broach, how did he broach this topic in the first place? Like, I'll give you some information, but I'm going to need to see them feet. I'm going to need to know what them feet do. Like, what? Is, how did that get brought up into the conversation? Is this I like just don't see him doing that. Like, is this how they invented OnlyFans in Westeros, essentially? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's just it, it, it. Like, honestly, like I, I don't know if I am being OTT about it, but like, it's my least favorite thing the show has done up to this point because I think to me it represents like everything that people negatively stereotype Game of Thrones with, right? Which is like, all people do is just murder each other and have sex. It's like, well, there's actually a lot of interesting political maneuvering and character work and thematic tones inside of it. And it's like, yeah, and this guy has a foot fetish and he whacks off to her after he she shows her feet to get information. It's like, yeah, I can't really show that to the naysayers. You know, like uh, there's another HBO show that I've I've told the story many times where I was like, my mom's like, is there anything good to anything good? And I was like, yeah, you should watch The White Lotus. <laughs> the White Lotus. Like, oh no, I told my mom to watch the show. And I feel like this is another where I like, I can't be recommending this show anymore. <laughs> I can't be like, yeah, I, I'm gonna have to like, I don't know, I'm gonna have to go under a pseudonym, I think, Mike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, Grace, I didn't know you were a fan of this type of stuff <laughs> oh yeah this is brutal it's like yeah this is a little big brothery too where it's like no it's really interesting and complex social yeah. dynamics and they're like riding on bananas <laughs> all right oh all right. man cool now i'm yeah. just thinking about uh nick macaroni as the lair strong that's right that's right sorry that's yeah the throwback for all people who suffer through big brother 21 like the rest that's of right. us uh all right well let's let's get to the you know the, i'm assuming now day turns to night which will then turn to day now we're building towards this eventual coronation as grace said the timeline is a little bit been a bit crunched together and so eric again escape e for eric is going to wake renice up in the middle of the night right and essentially says like i'm gonna get you out of here let's escape and it looks like so i'm a little confused about this like they were making way jason to like get her out of there and she got like swept up in the mosh pit going to the coronation yeah it seems like they were trapped they were trying to go one way but everyone else was coming the way that the opposite way that they were coming to get to the coronation and they all got swept up in the in the you know in the ensuing you know just rush of people and she got carried her way to the coronation there were a lot of times where she looked hesitant where i was like is she about to turn back and be like going to allison's side but that didn't happen but uh yeah that just it looks like that's what happened they were trying to escape but there were just no outlet for them to go through and they just got swept swept in yeah I th- yeah and so it's dawn because she says um uh, aegon will be we crowned at dawn so it's, yeah it's like the, all these like debaucherous people waking up like starting their day and being forced into they don't even know they don't even know where they're going they they're don't, they don't know oh, he, yes. i didn't realize it was a work holiday okay yeah. follow the arrow on the ground all right <laughs> that's right yeah and then yeah rainus gets like yeah uh yeah ushered in stuck in it of the the wave yeah it's a little it, silly but it's fine it, it is really interesting, though, just even like looking at art imitating life that like this was scripted, filmed everything before the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. And yeah. obviously, you know, uh, there are not there's not a lot to compare in terms of, uh, you know, what exactly is happening within the court. But I do find it interesting. There's been so much talk right over the past month or so about the mourning process and like the ridiculous, you know, cues that form of hundreds and miles of people checking with the box yeah Yeah. exactly so it's like it's it's interesting to see how a country mourns in a manner of speaking though again 
they don't know this, right? They just have the city wide like, like go this way, and they're like, oh, okay. The people in power don't care. They're just ushering them in. They're literally, I mean, they couldn't have hit the metaphor on the nose anymore than there are also literally sheep being herded. <laughs> it's like yeah. they are just in with the sheep being pushed and moved to wherever they want them to be like, yep, and now this is legitimate because there's like thousands of people just sitting watching this thing. It's, yeah, uh, it's very sick. I almost love, I love the like sheep being uh, shepherd at the same time as all the people. Yeah, do you think the sheep were in there? Like maybe that was what yeah. caused the dragon to burst out. Was yeah. like, I smell sheep. Just sheep up there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're go. We're you know everyone's on their way there. I really like again. It's a small scene here, but Allison and Aegon in the carriage. I really like it because I think the carriage has been such an interesting centerpiece of child parent dynamics right i'm thinking back to like uh the episode with the hunt i think that's episode three or four of this season yep. of uh the awkwardness between viserys and rhaenyra and like the the conflicts that it, that happened there and it's almost like the kitchen table in a manner of speaking where just like things tend to be out in the open because they're in private when they never usually are they're always surrounded by servants and this happens here it's a moment we mentioned before right where uh Aegon's just like i don't want this I know my dad didn't want this. I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. And she's like, uh, will this knife help? And she essentially like, she's going to tell him, right? Like why she took him in the first place. Going to say, okay, your uncle, your grandfather's going to tell you at some point, hey, kill Rhaenyra. You're going to say no. He's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, tell me more about the dagger. And here's where we get the, the line you mentioned before, Jason, right? The, uh, do you love me? And he just goes, you imbecile. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, Allison's like thinking is so interesting here, where she can like hopefully talk some sense into Aegon, but it she should know by now that there's really no no point into talking sense into Aegon, and to seeing how he is so like jubilant about being lauded later down the line, I don't think he's going to really listen to reason when Allison is talking to him. So it's it really was kind of for not for Allison to get to Aegon first, as if that was going to really be some big accomplishment for her whereas you know I th i'm pretty sure otto is gonna be able to slither into Aegon's ear and, and convince him to do some pretty pretty dastardly things later down the line yeah i i like this scene a lot because it tells us a lot about allison tier and her relationship to her kid but i yeah can't think that the kid who's like you know done as many awful things as we're seeing including like hanging out in children fight pits this week uh you know he he literally yeah like gonna get a dragon but he, he i think he's gonna love uh if he doesn't get love from his mother wonder where else he could find uh, a love um and can i also just say the carriages i hate the carriages and and just the look of them i just hate huh. the look of them they look like they're unpainted uh, <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a little it's a little bit of yeah that like unfinished almost steampunky right because it's like latticed yeah. cage work almost in the carriages so it's very opaque Again, I apologize. I know a lot of us here play D and D, and a lot of people who listen probably don't play D and D. They look like unpainted uh, minifigures, <laughs> like three D printed, <laughs> and are unpainted. I really hate the look of the carriages. I think for as much as there's so much stuff on this show that looks so cool, including like who knew I would really? I kind of want like my own small council ball at my desk, so that I'm like in session. I never thought I would want that. The carriages, they look I. I may wear a helmet every time I'm in proximity yeah, of that enough. ball. I'm just very nervous about that now. It's, it's a good point. I, I actually, I, I don't know. I actually really like it in that what it represents, again, is like the lone form of privacy where they can have a conversation. Oh, I, I like look, that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yes. The yeah. look is interesting, though, because, again, I do think if it looks industrialized to me in a yeah, world fair. that is medieval, uh, which really stuck out to me from the very first episode. But, 
yeah, Allison, again, is going to be on her high horse right here, carriage, right? You must not rule with cruelty and callousness. I do think, Jason, it's very much this thing of, like, I can change him in a manner of speaking, right? Of, like, yes, he's done all these things, but, like, I can convince him to be a good ruler. I mean, I think it's just more of Allison, like, kind of, like, fooling herself into thinking she can control this when I think she should know and we all already know that there's no point in trying to uh, trying to change this boy into uh, something respectable. I think the thing it's very interesting. I think that this idea that and the, and the scene with Rainey's I think is is very like it highlights this idea that she thinks that she can fix it from the inside and yet the thing they're like telling you know that they're basically saying to Aegon is like you get to rule because you're a man and you can do whatever you get to do whatever you want. Right. Um, and so this idea that like she is with upholding a system that is so almost like, you know, so different than what she would actually do in any other situation um, is like, is very interesting. So let's get to the coronation. It's coronation day. The window is open. So's that door. Do not look out the window, though, because there might be the new king uh, doing something out of it. So <laughs> here we are. Unfortunately, speaking of uh, Big Brother, Otto's doing his best diary room voice because I guess amplification technology does not mm. exist. So he just has to yell to thousands of people here about got good news and bad news. Bad news. King is dead. Good news. You're about to get a new king right now. And here it comes. There's a lot of pomp and circumstance involved. Aegon looks like if he wasn't already pale, probably even more so uh, with just how uncomfortable he is and almost emotionless. And so we go through the entire thing. We see Renice sneak off here as we go through the entire ceremony. He gets anointed. Uh, we get, you know, again, the rack focus on Aemon as the crown is placed on Aegon's head. And once Aegon's given something to put in his hand, a sword to thrust, he is happy, especially because everyone's cheering about it. But that reverie is broken up, unfortunately, due to the hundreds of casualties from this, as the beast below the boards emerges here. Grace, do we know the name of this dragon? Um, yeah, it's it's M E L E Y S, which malaise. Which, that sounds bad. I don't know. I, I've never again. I've never said this dragon name out loud. So I, I get. I mean, Renice does experience a lot of general malaise. So. Melis, yeah. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Melise, yeah, maybe. Melise, Melise would maybe make more sense. But yeah, Melise. Uh, I know this is the thing. Like, just she's like, "Where's my dragon? Just say the name of the dragon. <laughs> just tell me the name of the characters on the show, please. Even if they're dragons." Uh, yeah. Jason, what were your thoughts about? Renice's, you could say final stand, you could call it an escape, maybe a little bit of both. I enjoyed it. I mean, I think we probably were all united around uh, the world. We were all shouting, Tracaris, 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 which you had the dragon right pointing on straight Twitter. at all the high towers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think we we're all united in that front. I mean, no, at no point did I think that, you know, she was going to set fire to all the high towers. I mean, that would pretty much almost kind of end the show at that point. So I was like, yeah, it's probably not going to happen. Episode nine. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh, it's probably not going to happen, but okay. Uh, I, I don't know what the logic is. Uh, you know, I think in the, uh, you know, in the after the show, like kind of uh, add on, it was like, well, you know, she didn't want to do it because, you know, she didn't want to do that to another mother. I was like, okay, that doesn't really make a lot of sense, but all right, sure, <laughs> if you say so. Yeah, so let's let's drill into that. Actually, before we get into that, I just want to say, like, the actual sequence itself, I thought was awesome. I think for mm -hmm. an episode that, and I won't say that every episode needs to have this big like 
hallmark thing. Again, I would say that the 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 showdown in Driftmark is still like the climax of the series for me up to this point because like it was so small and intimate and just rage boiling over in the course of a very confined space. But like I love the spectacle that Westeros provides sometimes and just having a big ass dragon burst through and just raise all of these commoners is such a great sight. I know that you've spoken, Grace, about the idea that like House of the Dragon, one of the downsides is that the dragons aren't necessarily characters. They're more like accessories and essentially valets at this point. But like when they show up, my breath is always taken away. Uh, uh, much like, unfortunately, a lot of the people that died uh, just getting absolutely bulldozed by this thing. So I, I was, I loved the actual like moment itself. It was awesome again to see this woman who the very first scene of the series, right? We see her be denied the throne and kind of subjugated into this role. Allison is going to walk her through essentially her entire history of tragedy up to this point that, you know, her son, quote unquote, died, her daughter's dead, her husband's basically dead, you know, she barely has Driftmark, her grandchildren are all that she has left, like, it has been a rough, rough life for this person, and so to see her resplendent in this armor, triumphant, being able to do whatever she wants, was a really awesome moment, which you can then separate from the decision that is made proper. And yeah, Jason, uh, I, I watched the after the episode as well. And I I sort of see it if you relate it back to, again, what Allison walked her through, right? This idea of like, she is all about family, but she was ironically enough spurned by her family. But again, very much about, you know, the people that she has raised and she has lost everyone that is close to her. She is alone at the end of the day, even Viserys, who like was her cousin, someone I think she would relatively consider like a peer to a certain extent, is now dead. She is very isolated at this point in time. And so I think specifically the image of Alicent standing in front of Aegon, ready to take on that dragon fire, though let's face it, like they both would have probably perished in it. Uh, except he's a Targaryen, so like he he may have been able to survive much like Danny did. It, I think it maybe reminded her in that moment of like why would I do to someone else the tragedies that were done to me? That's my sort of mental logic working it through, Grace, though I also understand the immediate confusion as to why it didn't happen. Yeah, I and I think that that's okay. I think sometimes, you know, as is our job to come in here after every single episode, the season's not over. And so, as I've said, sometimes that like, yeah, they might give us the reasoning next episode. It might be a little bit frustrating to feel like, what the heck? But sometimes that's like what shows want you to think too. And so if there's a reasonable explanation next week, I think I'm okay with it. From For my money, it does feel like she does empathize a little bit with Allison in the position she's in. And so to, yeah, I, I you know, whether I'm like, yeah, she's like gonna prevent her whole family from, but she has to kill Allison. So like, she can just do it um, to everybody but her. So Allison, that's my move, move to the yeah. left a little bit. Scooch that. Way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Jason? I, I, like I said, I enjoyed the the sequence, and I, I was, you know, obviously just thinking of the story logic. I'm like, well, she's not gonna set fires to this whole place because it's that's gonna end the show. Yeah, so she I, she is in armor, but they have plot armor. Right, exactly. So I was like, that's not going to happen. But I was, was curious about how that was going to, how that whole scene was going to end. Like, are they going to try and take out, take her out before she can uh, set them to fire? Like, try and, you know, hit her with a spear or something? I didn't know. So to see her just kind of be like, ah, all right, I scared you with the dragon and I'm on my way now was kind of a little bit of a letdown. So I, I'll say that in the moment, I was a little let down by it. 
Yeah. yeah I, I think it was purposely anticlimactical, where, again, we were expecting back in Marine with Dracarys to happen. But I sort of like that swerve then in terms of, like, buildup of expectations. I just want it to be rooted in character at the end of the day. Again, that was a lot of the concerns around, like, the the things that of Danny, you know, sacking King's Landing, of Jamie going back to Cersei. Like, there were a lot of understandable criticisms that I agree with of, like, you can do these things, but they have to make logical sense for the character, even if the character themselves is illogical. I see the logical pattern for Renice in this moment for her to make the decision that I personally do not have a problem with it. Even though, again, I, I could see, like, I'm sure the more that people talk about it, the more I could be like, okay, yeah, I, maybe she should have done that. And I'm sure, given everything that will probably happen in this next episode and episodes to come, she's like, why didn't I just do it right then, right there? Yeah, well, I mean, she, she could have saved a bunch of lives if she had just done that right there and right then, yeah. and saved a lot of trouble for a lot of people. But you know, I get you know, I get the I get what you're saying, Mike. She didn't want to uh, to to you know kill a whole family basically. Um, so a couple of things. This is not in the in the book, and I'm sure the book club will be all over uh, this this change. And I feel like they backed themselves into a corner, wanting something like beneath uh, the beast beneath the boards, and wanting something in this penultimate episode, a, a moment here, and so that's where this for me feels like it comes from. And so I'm mostly in the team camp of like, they, I feel like you could have had some cool moment with Renice that's not coming up through uh, the dragon pit, but you know, it, it, it is, it is what it is. I think so. Yeah. All right. So we leave things on a big note, you know, Renice uh, is going to take some people out, send a final message as she's going to fly off to parts unknown. Oh, one um, thing I was going to say, sorry, I just remember my, no. my other thought here was I wonder how much there is. I, I wish maybe there was another beat about perhaps we don't know what an, Rhaenyra's insight into like she doesn't know this is happening. She doesn't know that no. the queue is here. Right. But you know, if there was a beat or something that's that like, you know, Allison is the one being like, I don't want to kill Rhaenyra. And so if, if, if Rhaenys does this and then comes back, he's like, and don't worry, I killed them all. And like, well, that seems like an overreaction to like what happened. <laughs> well, you know, like, I, I wonder if there's that too, that I, I know next week there will be a, uh, I believe there's a, a, in the preview. So yeah, perhaps like if Rhaenys is thinking, well, I'm going to go to the other side. And I don't know that we know that yet. Right. And so what I'm saying is that, Rainis is a very independent thinker, I think, um, and is not swayed by, well, if you're doing this and you're doing this, well, I could also do my own thing. Um, but if she does go to Rhaenyra, I think there could be a little bit of like, well, are you going to stoop to their level and play? And maybe we we get to that eventually. But um, if you're basically saying like, Allison shouldn't be like trying this to do this coup and you just kill everybody, maybe you don't want to kill everybody. Um, so I think there's that too. Yeah. Yeah. I think something that it's also again, vocalizing after the episode is even aside from the mother stuff, like, this is a discussion that happens throughout this season is this idea of is cruelty necessary to a certain extent to be a leader, divorcing your emotions from the things that you have to do. And that again, this idea of torching the entire family would certainly be and like an act of war in a manner of speaking, not to mention treasonous and Renice for like as much as she has been through and understandably hardened by the trauma and tragedy that she's faced. Like, I don't know if she would want to be the person to do that yeah. necessarily. Uh, that's not necessarily the character that she strikes me as. She never seemed like the person to be like, yeah, go with like, that's a, more of a Damon thing, right? Yeah. That's a, Hey, go in, raise them all. Who the hell it's cares? A we got what we done, what we wanted done. That's not really Renice to me. 
they've also implied that that's a coreless thing as well. She's very yeah. different from coreless. That there's the idea of like, yeah, you just like you you go for the throne any uh, any means necessary, you know, to a degree. And she's been, I'm over that, you know, that's not the game I'm playing. So, so Jason, you made some some allusions to this, but like, we have a new king on the throne. What do you sort of eyeball your one eyeball for the finale? What do you think we're going to see happen? Because the interesting thing is like. Again, the way that Game of Thrones usually sets up its 10-episode structure, right? It's like episode 9 is often the most action-packed, eventful, the big climactic moment of the season that everyone's talking about. Episode 10 is usually a lot of, like, falling action from that, right? Like, some stuff is resolved, maybe some twists are thrown in, but usually things relatively settle and perhaps react to what happened last time. Do you expect that to be the case for next week's finale? I think we're going to get a lot of action in the next week's finale. I think, I think now that they know, they see Renice going off, they know where she's going. So I think that Renice is going to be followed rather shortly by, uh, you know, the High Towers trying to get to Rainier because now the jig is up. Like they, the the plot has been foiled. So I think there's going to be a lot of confrontation. I think there's going to be a lot of battle next episode. I think probably what we would have expected for this episode will take place in the next episode in the finale. Yeah, Grace, I know that obviously history is on your side in a manner of speaking, but any bold predictions you want to make for next week? Um, I, I feel like I can't. I know, I know. Uh, I'm sure I've if read... we pull a Laris and cut out your tongue. Yeah, cut out my tongue, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I, I actually wonder a little bit is, you know, there was this tradition of episode nine being the one that was the most action-packed. But I actually wonder if this show has decided to save the action for next episode. Um, so I actually think I, I, I'm very excited. Um, I would also just prepare for a, a cliffhanger. I think I feel like mm. uh, that's like they know where this story is fully going. And I know that they knew that with Game of Thrones. There was such a slower pace, I think, to the Game of Thrones stuff that I, I feel like people should be expecting to sort of at least sit on sort of something at the end of next episode so that we can all just linger in that for like another year or whatever before the next, uh, probably a year and a half before the next season comes down. So my bold prediction, and it's not so bold given that, again, this is a Westeros show, but I think we're going to lose another member of the main cast next episode. I think there is going to be at least one more death and that does extend down. I should mention that technically part of the main credited cast are people like Missaria, are people like Sir Harold Westerling, are people like the Lannister twins, are people like obviously the children. Uh, so I think that, you know, that opens the floor up to all them. But considering that, again, I'm assuming it's going to be sort of the Lexington and Concord shot heard around the world next week that's going to kickstart things into a war brewing in season two. I got to imagine that like not everyone makes it out in one piece. We have already lost people. Uh, you know, we've assumingly lost Corliss. We've already lost Viserys. But to that point. About, and like, Beesbury. Oh, and Beesbury. Oh, or Beesbury and Caswell. Caswell. Oh, yeah. yeah. uh, Caswell. Yeah. The in memoriam segment for this year is just going to be so tear jerking. But yeah, I'm imagining <laughs> there's going to be another at least one more head mounted on that pike. Again, I I have not read this part of Fire and Blood yet. I'm still back at Jaceris, so like I uh, don't know what's coming. But I'm very excited to see what's happening next. And I was very excited to, to get to talk with you today, Jason, about all your thoughts about this. I was not disappointed whatsoever. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on and lending your loud, booming voice a la Otto Hightower to give your thoughts to one and all about this, uh, this episode in the show. 
Oh, yes. Thank you, uh, too, for having me on. I, I enjoyed waxing poetic about the show and uh, hearing all the theories and thoughts and that you guys had. Which are, you guys are a lot smarter than me at this stuff. You've been talking about it for the past eight episodes. I enjoyed hearing what you had, what you had to say, and uh, thank you for indulging what I had to say about the show. Well, if people want to indulge in your dulcet tones some more, I know you always have a lot going on on this here microphone. What can people check out on both uh, social media and on podcast form for you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at J-A-Y-R-1085 to check out everything I'm doing uh, for right now. It's a week of wrap-ups for me. Uh, I just wrapped up Cobra Kai. Uh, you know, we just finished a feedback show for the fifth season, so we're all done with that. That should be out uh, either today or tomorrow. And then we're wrapping up She-Hulk as well, the finale that uh, really a crazy uh, finale that uh, we're going to kind of break down a little bit. Me and my partner, Sasha Joseph, over there, over here on Post Show Recap. So check that out when that comes out. Uh, also on the Rob Has Podcast for Hap-Ups Network, uh, we're doing a perfect match, which is covering the show Merit at First Sight. I do that with my co-host, Asia Welch. Um, you can also find me on the Hot Mess Express this week as I'm covering 90 Day Fiance with Puya this week. Uh, so check me out there as well. So I know, especially nowadays with the television landscape, a lot of people with weekly shows are like, I'm just going to wait for it to have all air so I can just sort of like do one binge. Obviously, you know, that was the case with Cobra Kai from the beginning, but I know that recently happened with She-Hulk. I personally uh, am only about halfway through. I've definitely fallen behind. But for those that are looky-loos and are saying like, okay, now that She-Hulk's finished, in your opinion, is it worth diving into all the episodes of the show? Oh, for sure. I think She-Hulk in and of itself is better as a binge, so I think you'll do well with that. Um, She-Hulk ends up being pretty important to the overall tapestry of the Marvel Universe for actually several different reasons. Uh, So yeah, you should definitely check it out. It's not just... A lot of people say, well, this is just a sitcom. It's not really that attached. It's very attached to the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe. Got some big introductions in this series to characters uh, that you'll want to see. So definitely check out She-Hulk for, for sure. And then check out our coverage over here on Postal Recaps. Yeah, characters you want to see or maybe characters who cannot see. Uh, oh. but yeah, check, check out check out the great coverage that Jason and Sasha do. I, I really am have enjoying, uh, from what I've, again, done with the series so far, uh, the, what you two have done, your comic book knowledge is, is really fun to listen to as well. To, again, get your expertise on like the translation from uh, page to screen, as yeah. it were. Grace, you always have mm-hmm. a lot of stuff going on. What's happening with you this week? Uh, DM Philly and I are chatting Interview with a Vampire, uh, mm. the show that has the most confusing release schedule of any show I've ever seen. Why? What's going like, on? So they uh, week one, they were like, okay, on Sunday, you can have episodes one and two, and then episode one aired at like 8 p.m. on TV. And then the next week, like episode two aired at like 8 p.m. on AMC, but like episode three dropped at AMC Plus, first thing Sunday morning. So like, you get the episode like a week ahead of time on AMC Plus. It's very confusing. Yeah, they did it with Walking Dead too, I believe. Oh my gosh, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Uh, but it's fine. I mean, I guess it means I get to watch the episodes early, so that's great. Uh, it's been very fun. It's been very good. Very LGBTQ. Uh, Ariel and I covering movies this week. I think we're going to be covering Halloween Ends, as well as I mm. uh, believe maybe Triangle of Sadness. So that should be fun as well. Um, and over on Rob is a podcast uh, doing Roll Call, the board game show. Mike came and joined me and played the Game of Thrones board game along with a few others. Um, yeah, and we are going to play uh, some Clue later this month, uh, October 25th at 8 p.m. Eastern. So that should be very fun with a crew. Yeah. Uh, do you get to be the Wadsworth in this situation? 
Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we're going to have to. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see who ends up as who. Uh, Professor Plum or yeah, we'll all have flames in the side of our face. I'm on Twitter at High from Grace. I, don't think I, said that. I mean, uh, listen, if people had their way online, Renice would have made flames on the sides of their faces. <laughs> That's, by right. The That's right. So you can follow me at a Mike Bloom type, a DM Philly, and I just finished our coverage of the Lord of the Rings. The Rings of Power aired its big season one finale, which had a lot of big reveals and fake reveals and real reveals it was a really great time talking about a really great show so you can check that out if you're caught up with the series josh Riggler and i have started our coverage of heroes jason were you a heroes guy as a superhero connoisseur i was a huge heroes guy uh really loved the uh, loved the show in season one and then things got weird uh but i i did definitely have an appreciation for it uh was very fun in that and it was really a heyday of tv back then so this, that was a very good uh prestige kind of not prestige tv but you know really great episode for for my interest for sure so yeah i was a big big heroes guy yeah definitely uh repeating the conventional wisdom i think and that's why josh and i are only covering season one and that's it so mm -hmm. uh this coming week we're gonna be covering episode five but that's been a lot of fun and then yeah rob has a podcast lots of reality tv stuff going on there whether it is me doing survivor and amazing race exit press for parade.com or podcast proper whether it be recaps with rob and jess for amazing race or the bnb &B with liana and this week's guest gabby pescuzzi uh if you ever wanted to hear the phrase john cochran's herpes meat uttered in sincerity on a podcast you're gonna want to check this one out how'd you know <laughs> wow i read your wow. mind uh wow. yes yeah, it's, it's very i have fun. a google alert for that so i'm sure it'll alert yeah yeah it yeah that's out. right and this is where the Mori comes in with me and is like, all right, we have, right. So this is this is where we reveal your kinks. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> check that out again if, if that is something that you're into. But again, thank you all so much for listening. Of course, this is not the last time House of the Dragons is going to be talked about on this network. Back, as per usual, is going to be our book club gang in only a short amount of time. As Grace says, seems like things are a little bit different with the coronation of Aegon. So certainly there's going to be some stuff to talk about there. Maybe some... Uh, rat pit discussion and their omission yeah. here why the rats were turned into children uh, and then Rob and Josh will do their penultimate feedback show in midweek and then towards the end of the week Rob, LaTanya, perhaps a guest TBD at this point are going to compare episode 9 of Game of Thrones season 1 with episode 9 of House of the Dragon it's going to be tough they're comparing it to Baylor, which as I mentioned before is one of the most iconic moments in the show's history someone argue like a moment that gets people into the series in the first place so it's got a lot to live up to let's see if it will soar to its great heights as that episode does much like a dragon so thank you all again so much for listening grace and i'll be back next week much like the targaryens itself we're keeping it in the family uh as we're going to be talking about this finale which i'm sure is going to have a a lot of things to break down before we say goodbye to this show I'm assuming until like 2024 at the earliest because they haven't yeah. filmed anything, right? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll it'll be sad to, to bid adieu right now that this is the, the, the last episode. But I've been absolutely loving getting to talk about this. Even in episodes that we don't love, I think we find lovable moments to speak about, which is why we do this in the first place and hopefully why you listen to us in the first place. So again, thank you all so much for listening. Jason, Grace, thank you. You both will be back next week covering the finale of House of the Dragon Season 1. Until then, take care. Bye-bye.
love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you.